the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Leviticus. God has been laying out to the children of Israel how they were to live in holiness just as He is holy. God had given them the ceremonial laws and was now laying out the civil laws. These laws would distinguish themselves from the nations around them as they were drastically different and put God's love and compassion towards all men and women on display. Today we will continue to look at trespasses that were deserving of capital punishment. We join Pastor Will in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. Back in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, we see the penalty for sexual sin. Now, not all sexual sin. Remember, I mentioned last week that sex before marriage was not punishable by death It was if it was determined that it was not rape. And of course, rape was always punishable by death. Also, during an engagement, that was punishable by death if you had sex before marriage. These ones will all revolve around sexual immorality in other ways than that. So not every Sexual sin is covered here. Only certain ones were punishable by death. In verses 10 through 16, we have the clear capital crimes. And the man that commits adultery, verse 10, with another man's wife, even he that committed adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Both violators are put to death. This was very different than pagan cultures, which normally only punished the woman. And the Lord, when he gives his law to Moses, he says, no, they will both be put to death for their adultery. Verse 11, the man that lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. It's nobody's fault but their own. And if a man lie with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have wrought confusion. It's a, a word that refers to incest. This is not the way a family should look like. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man also lie with mankind as he lies with a woman, so homosexual sexual behavior. He says, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. And if a man take a wife and her mother, it is wickedness. They shall be burnt with fire, both he and they, that there be no wickedness among you. And if a man lie with a beast, he shall surely be put to death and you shall slay the beast as well. And if a woman approach unto any beast and lie down there too, you shall kill the woman and the beast. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. If you want explanations of all these things, get the CD from chapter 18. I prefer not to go into it again. But adultery, incest, same gender, sexual behavior and bestiality were all capital crimes in Israeli society. For sure. Verses 17 through 21 probably are also capital crimes because of the context, but the language is a little bit different. So uh, Bible scholars are kind of divided on, on what they think. Verse 17. If a man shall take his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter. So stepsisters here are included in God's prohibition against incest. If they do that and he see her nakedness and she see his nakedness. So it, it's, what's the word? Consensual. He says, it is a wicked thing. They shall be cut off in the sight of their people because he has uncovered his sister's nakedness and he shall bear his iniquity. And if a man shall lie with a woman, having her sickness, or in other words, she's, you know, during the time of her flowers. There's another fancy way to pray it. He has discovered her fountain. Are you fountaining, dear? 
<laughs> and she has uncovered the fountain of her blood. In other words, this was something that would make them unclean. It was something forbidden in that day. And as such, it's deliberate disobedience to God. And as a result, both of them shall be cut off from among their people. And you shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, your aunt, nor your father's sister, for he has uncovering his near kin. They shall bear their iniquity. And if a man shall lie with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin. They shall die childless. If a man shall take his brother's wife, it is an unclean thing. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. And this is where John the Baptist got into trouble because he critiqued Herod for taking his brother's wife. He said, you have done wrong by this. And eventually that's what cost John the Baptist his head. He was referring back to this law. The idea here is we're not sure if these are capital crimes. The phrase cut off, some people simply means they were banished outside of the camp. They could no longer be part of the people of God. Um, That could be the case. I tend to believe it's a capital crime because the context here is all capital crimes. That's my personal belief. Do you say, well, what does it mean that they would die childless? Would God make them infertile? That's what some people believe. However, the problem is, is that we know that there are people who weren't childless. So this is, again, why I believe the childlessness here refers to the fact that they're going to be killed before they could conceive a child in this relationship. That's how I see it. So I believe all of these are capital crimes. But feel free to disagree with me. I'm not going to fight you on it. Verse 22, now we come to the end of the civil laws, all of them, and we see the purpose of them restated. Verse 22, you shall therefore keep all my statutes, he says, and all my judgments and do them. Why? Why have I given you all these civil laws? That the land whither I bring you to dwell in spew you or vomit you not out. And you shall not walk in the manners of the nation which I cast out before you, for they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them is kind of a harsh translation. It means what they did disgusted me. God didn't abhor them, but what they did disgusted him. It turned his stomach, which is why the land would vomit them out. There is only so much wickedness that nature can take. The bill eventually comes. It eventually comes. You know, we read in the book of Romans where it says that all creation is groaning for the time of the manifestation of the sons of God, for the time when we're going to get our new bodies and God, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to return righteousness to the earth. It's groaning for it because it's sitting under the weight of sin. Remember what God said to Cain about Abel? He said, your brother's blood cries out to me from where? From the earth itself. The earth itself is groaning. You know, for every child that's aborted, for every person that's killed, for every violence that's done in our society and all over the world, the the very nature itself is crying out for release. It's crying out for no more blood to be soaked here. God didn't create it for that purpose. He created it for us to enjoy, to walk with him, to live a life that pleases him. And every crime that's committed, every evil that's done, that it bears a mark from it, it cries out. So basically the Lord says, it was these very things that are going to get the people that you're kicking out, kicked out. It's because they did these things that I'm kicking them out. This is my land, the land I promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And I've given it to you now. But I'm not just giving it to you and taking it away from them. I'm giving it to you because these guys have done wickedly. And see, I want to bless the land while you're there. I want to bless you while you're in the land. I don't want to have to kick you out like I have to kick them out soon. God wanted them to be blessed. And isn't that awesome to know that God wants to bless us? God's not against you. He's for you. All the, all the principles in the New Testament, the commandments he gives that we see there, they're for our good. When he says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church, he's not saying that to make you miserable. He's not saying, well, you gotta die. You gotta be the one to lead the way to death. That sounds exciting, Jesus. Oh, tell me where to go. 
he, he knows that that is also the way to life. You know, what did Jesus say when they came to him? Remember, it was the Greeks, I think. They were, the, the Hellenistic Jews were coming to Andrew, I think, and, and said, hey, we, would, we want to see Jesus. And so Andrew brought him to Jesus. And Jesus just says, hey, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it can't bear fruit, right? He was trying to explain something to them. You know, you're just getting to meet me. And in a very short time, I'm going to a cross. I'm not even going to be here anymore. But you have to understand something. It doesn't end there. From death comes life. Whosoever wants to save his life will what? Lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel, what? Finds it. That doesn't make any sense, Jesus. If you lose your life, you lose your life. That's how it works. But not in God's economy. Not how he measures things. When we lose our life, we find it. So he's not saying that to you to make you miserable or I ought to give my life away. I'm giving my life away because that's, what, that's what's best for me. That's where I find life. You know what I found in 20 years of marriage? <laughs> First off, how awesome a wife I have. But second off, how selfish I am. You find it even more when you have kids. I don't love like Jesus loves. I have a lot to learn about that. But being married and giving my life away and being obedient to God in the ways I'm trying to do and growing in that, it's teaching me more about how much he loves me. It's showing me, and I'm finding life. I'm, over those 20 years, I've found more life because in giving it away, because I'm learning how much he loves me. So the Lord says, I want to bless you in the land. But I've said unto you, verse 24, you shall inherit the land, and I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that flows with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. The Lord's saying, I, I want to do good things here but sin has consequences. This is the truth for all of us. We may not realize it at first, but if you persist in your sin, there is a natural law that requires you to sow what you've reaped. In Galatians chapter six, verses seven and eight, you know it. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, or literally God will not be mocked. For whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you're gonna reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you're gonna reap life everlasting. That's how it works. So you can't keep playing. My old pastor, my very first pastor, he said, he, he would say it all, every Sunday, you know, it was, it was a good old Baptist church and he would say every Sunday, you can't sow your wild oats and pray for a crop failure. And he's right. He'd also say, you can't lie down with dogs without getting up with fleas. But I've seen dogs that don't have fleas, so it didn't work. I like the other one better. But you can't sow things that are wicked and pray for a crop failure and expect that they're not gonna come up what you planted. If you plant some stinky feet tomato, you're going to get a stinky feet tomato coming up. On the other hand, if you plant a nice tomato, you'll get a nice tomato. So you'll never forget that. Some of you are trying. But he also did it. He gave them these laws so they would be different. He said, you shall therefore, verse 25, put difference between clean beasts and unclean, between unclean fowls and clean, and you shall not make your souls abominable by beast or by fowl or by any manner of living thing that creeps in the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. And you shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have severed you from other people that you should be mine. So a man also, or woman, God had forgotten to cover this apparently, not forgotten, of course, but he ties it up at the end here. A man also, a woman that has a familiar spirit or that is a wizard shall surely be put to death. They shall stone him with stones. Their blood shall be upon. This is the reason for all the civil and ceremonial laws, not health or sanitation, but that they would be separate. How do we separate ourselves? Well, we don't separate ourselves. The Lord does as we obey him. 
So let's flee the things the New Testament tells us to flee, like idolatry and sexual sin and youthful lusts. Let's honor our parents like Jesus and Paul commanded. And let's forsake witchcraft like John the Beloved commanded. Because when we do, our lives will automatically be different and will cause people to wonder why. And we can be a witness. Now, chapter 21, we come to, we saw a holy nation, the government, their role. Now we look at a royal priesthood, how they were to be. And we see practices that were forbidden to all priests. And the first one was they were not allowed to touch a dead body except for family. And the Lord spake, said unto Moses, speak unto the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say unto them, there shall none be defiled for the dead among his people, except for his kin that is near unto him, that is for his mother or for his father, for his son or for his daughter or for his brother. And for his sister, who's a virgin that is near unto him, in other words, she still lives there and has not been, uh, doesn't, isn't married yet, for her he can be defiled. But he shall not defile himself, and here's why. Because he's a chief man amongst his people to profane himself, to make him like everybody else, to make him common again. Why are there stricter rules in the Bible for leaders? And why are leaders called to a greater sacrifice? Well, because that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus didn't take breaks. He didn't cut corners. And leaders are to exemplify him by laying down their lives. That means a leader doesn't get to do what might be okay for others to do. When my grandmother went home to be with the Lord, I had to do the funeral. That meant I couldn't lose it. Now, after I was done and they lowered her into the ground and after I'd finished the graveside benediction, I went into my car and I wept like a baby. Because I love my grandmother. She's very much the reason that me and my family are saved, her and my grandfather. They witnessed to us for a very long time. And she loved me. She was one of the few people who would send me letters when I was off at college. And, you know, I mean, she just, I missed her. But in that moment, I didn't have the right to do that. I needed to be strong for the rest of the family. And there were other family members there who I wasn't even sure if they knew the Lord. Not immediate, but she was greatly loved. And so I needed to make sure as, as I was preaching the gospel at her funeral, I would honor her that way. So as a leader, you don't have the right to go and just, well, he's a friend. Okay, well, tough. You're a leader. You don't just get to do that and check out like everybody else because he was a friend. For a family member, they could because they would have responsibilities there. But, you know, leaders, listen, if you want to be a leader, then this is something you got to realize. You don't get to live the same life everybody else can. Because if you don't realize that, you're going to constantly be bitter. You don't get to make the same excuses other people make. You don't get to take the same breaks that other people make. We're called to be different. It's not condemnation. It's just you don't have to step up to the role. Like I've had many times the Lord saying, Will, I need you to do this for me. I say, Lord, this is hard. I mean, this is going to really take me out. And the Lord's like, you don't have to be a leader. I can find somebody else to do this. And it reminds you, okay, Lord, you know, it's, it's my privilege to get to do this. It's not a burden. God's people, for his leaders for a point in time, his prophets, they would, oh, the burden of the Lord. You know what he told Jeremiah, he said, or Ezekiel, I think, one of them. And he said, I don't want to hear anybody say burden of the Lord anymore because I don't put burdens on anybody. And what did Jesus say? My yoke is easy and my burden is what? It's light. If you don't wrestle with that and come to the conclusion, I'm, I'm ready to pay that price, then don't be a leader because you'll be constantly bitter when the Lord's asking you to do stuff and sacrifice. Next, it says, verse 5, they shall not make baldness upon their head. That means shave the front of their head. I don't know why they, well, I know why they do that, but I'm saying, I don't know why they did that part of their head. Neither shall they shave off the corner of their beard, nor make any cuttings in their flesh. They shall be holy unto their God and not profane the name of their God. For the offerings of the Lord are made by fire. They make by fire and the bread of their God they do offer. Therefore, they shall be holy. 
Now, this is the pagan death ritual, the mourning ritual for the dead. They would shave the front of their head or they would cut the corners of their beards or they would cut their skin. Whereas a non-priest in Israel might get away with it even though it's wrong, the priest had a zero tolerance policy because he was in the sanctuary serving the Lord and nobody could walk in there and they could go, why's Aaron got his beard shaved like that? Well, you know, we had an aunt that passed away and he's in mourning. Isn't that a pagan ritual? Yeah, but you know, it's, it's kind of a family thing. What a horrible testimony that would be. What a horrible stumbling block that would be. You can't do that as a leader. And that's why Paul has standards. He doesn't have them just so we can look at them and go, oh, that's nice, all Christians should be that way. But for an elder and a deacon, there are standards. One that, ones that must be fulfilled. I've had pastors come to me and say, oh, I don't understand why these things, nobody can keep those things. Yes and no, you're right. Nobody can keep them on their own. But you should not be an elder or a deacon if that's not your life. And it's not that we have to be perfectly that way all the time, but there is a higher standard. And for the priests, he says, it's a higher standard. And you know, we're all called to be priests. We're a kingdom of priests, according to scripture. We have a higher standard as Christians altogether. We can't do what the world does. Verse seven, you shall not take a wife that is a whore, prostitute, or a profane. That's interesting. The priest couldn't just take a, a regular gal. The word profane there just means to make someone common or to dishonor. He can't just marry anybody. He's the priest, and so he's got to marry somebody who's on board with that, who delights to be able to make that sacrifice and is there supporting him the whole way. She's got to have a heart for the Lord, a heart for ministry. One of the things I tell young people, or not just young people, but people who are single who are, are considering ministry or are training up in ministry, and then all of a sudden you start seeing him hang out with a lady and you say, Hey, uh, what's her heart? Because you have a call upon your life. Is she ready for that? Or is he ready for that? Is this something that they're willing to do? And if they're not, I kind of look at them and go, what are you doing? This only ends one way. If you marry him, heartache, because you won't get to do what God's called you to do. Or in heartache, because eventually you tell him, I can't do this. So why not spare yourself all that and break it off now? So if you've got a call on your life, God's going to call your spouse too. That's a conversation me and Bev had right up front. We weren't dating, but maybe for a month and a half. And I told her, I said, listen, I'm called to be a pastor. I'm never going to be rich. I'm, I'm going to have time. I won't always be around. I'm gonna, you're going to have to sacrifice a lot of time if you want to be my wife. Could have said it a lot better, but the point was, I knew I was called. I love it. She said to me, well, I'm called to be a pastor's wife. So we were never at odds with that. We were in this together from day one. So you can't marry a, a regular old gal. Can't marry a prostitute. It says, neither shall they take a woman put away. Can't marry a divorced woman from her husband for he is holy unto his God. You shall sanctify him therefore, because again, he offers the bread of your God. He needs to be the example. He needs to be the witness to the other people. He offers his bread of your God. He shall be holy unto you, for I, the Lord, would sanctify you, am holy. Same requirement for elders today. They need to be the husband of one wife. That's what it means, same thing. Verse nine, and the daughter of any priest, if she profane herself by playing the whore, she profanes her father, she shall be burnt with fire. So for her, if she plays the harlot, she gets the death penalty. Again, I say one of the most important decisions that you and I make is who we marry, but that decision is even more important for someone who's a leader. Verse 10, here we see some additional regulations for the high priest. He that is the high priest among his brethren upon whose head the anointing oil was poured and that is consecrated to put on the garments. So now these are additional ones for the high priest. This is only one guy at a time. It says this guy who's had anointing oil poured on him and he's consecrated to put on the priest's garments. He shall not uncover his head nor rend his clothes. Neither shall he go into any dead body, not even family, nor defile himself for his father or his mother. Neither shall he go outside of the sanctuary nor profane the sanctuary of his God for the crown of the anointing oil of his God is upon him. I am the Lord. Two things here. He's prohibited from having any contact with a dead body. He cannot act as anybody else would. You know, he can't tear his clothes and do all that stuff. He's got to serve the Lord. 
You say, well, that's family, Will. Well, not everybody gets to be the high priest either. It's a holy calling. He can't just go outside the tabernacle and do whatever he wants whenever he wants. He's called to serve there. He can't abandon his task. He has to stay there and do his job. And he shall take a wife in her virginity. He has to marry a virgin. A widow or a divorced woman or a profane or a harlot. These shall he not take. But he shall take a virgin of his own people to wife. Because he's got to be the example of how it's supposed to be. Neither shall he profane his seed among his people. For I, the Lord, do sanctify them. That's interesting. His children need to be set apart as well. He can't just let his kids act like however they want to act either. And we don't see all these things, you know, like the requirement to marry a virgin is not there in the New Testament for an elder or a pastor. We're not priests, so, I mean, these don't apply to us directly. But the principle is there. He needs to rule his own house well, right? That's what it says. Verse 16. Here are some qualities that would disqualify someone from serving as a priest. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron, saying, Whosoever he be of your seed in your generations that has any blemish, which would be a physical defect, let him not approach to offer the bread of his God. And then it tells us what these are. For whatsoever he be that has a man he be that has a blemish, he shall not approach. A blind man. So if you're blind, you couldn't be a priest. If you're lame, you couldn't walk, couldn't be a priest. This is a funny one. He that hath a flat nose. It doesn't mean if your nose isn't long enough, like only long-nosed people can be high priests. But it means someone who has a mutilated nose, some type of physical defect there. He says, or anything superfluous, anything that's extended. So if he's got an overly long nose, he's got some type of genetic uh, issue there that causes him to have a defect. Or a man that is broken-footed or broken-handed. Or crook-backed, which means hump-backed. Or a dwarf, if he's extra special sort. Or he has a blemish in his eye. No, he's one eye. Or if he's got scurvy or he's scabbed or if he has his stones broken. If he, his testicles don't work properly, he can't be a priest. <laughs> you know, it's funny because if you read Spurgeon, you know, they always say, Spurgeon, if you read his lectures to my students, which is supposed to be like, you know, one of those great works we should read as leaders. He would not let anyone be a, a leader in his church if they had any of these blemishes. Wouldn't let them. Now, that's an improper interpretation because none of these are repeated in the New Testament. There's not a single prohibition from the pastorate, deaconship, or, or leader of any sort for physical defect. The reason this was the case in the Old Testament is the same reason I mentioned some other problems. All of these are the result not of personal sin, but the result of the fact that we live in a fallen world. And nothing that would reflect the fallen world could enter into the presence of God. That's why they could not do this. It was not because this person's less of a human being. Nothing that was imperfect could be brought into God's presence. Verse 21, no man that has a blemish of the seed of Aaron, the priest shall come near to offer. So now the high priest, the same, if he has any of these things, he can't be the high priest either. So they'll have to find another descendant of Aaron to be the high priest. He will not come near to offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire because he has a blemish. He shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He shall eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy. He can eat it, that's his portion, but only he shall not go into the veil nor come near to the altar because he has a blemish. And here it is, that he profane not my sanctuaries. He can't make it common. This is a place of perfection, a place of holiness. For I, the Lord, I'm the one that sanctifies them. So Moses told it unto Aaron and to his sons and to all the children of Israel. All right, let's all stand and let's pray. Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. We thank you for your word and we thank you that from it we can, we can learn some things, Lord, that there is sin that is serious and sin has consequences. We don't want to live and act as if it doesn't have consequences, Lord. Lord, we look at our, our own culture right now and we see the uh, it almost feels like the our, the land is having those dry heaves getting ready they just things are bad 
We know that things are bad. We see it. And Lord, we ask that you would grant repentance to our nation, to our culture, that you would help us to be shining as lights, to be different, like the people of Israel would be. Not to follow their laws, because Lord, we're not a nation per se, but we're a holy nation, Lord, to follow your laws in the New Testament and the, the principles that are behind them in the Old Testament, Lord. To love our kids, not to give them to idols. Lord, to be pure in our sexuality, not to do whatever we want. Lord, to honor our parents and to consult you when we have trouble, not to go look to other sources. Lord, to be those who are a kingdom of priests who are separated unto you. Lord, taking our lives, our marriages, and our calling to be your witnesses, seriously. Lord, we offer ourselves up to you now as living sacrifices. That's our spiritual sacrifice, Lord. We offer ourselves up to you as living sacrifices. And we say, take us, Lord. Spend us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God has called his people to be a holy nation, to live doing what is right, to do what is pleasing in God's eyes. This is so different from how the rest of the world lives. It is countercultural, but it is one of the best ways for the people around us to see how awesome and amazing and different our God is. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.